Welcome to another episode of the Thoughts with Lakshman podcast. This is episode number 27, and we're going to be focusing on a very serious anthropological issue um, that relates to culture across the world today. But we're going to be focusing on a specific region, um, and we're going to ha- I'm going to make a series. We're going to be talking about gender inequality um, and how culture has actually played a role in that um, across the world and how progress is being made thanks to um, this new generation um, in this new period where people are becoming more comfortable with certain things. And um, in this episode, we're going to be talking about the Middle East. Um, we're going to be talking about North America, South America, Europe, Asia. We're going to have a important series on this because it's a very important topic. Um, gender inequality is one of the most important uh, cultural issues in, our, in the world today. Um, you know, for many years, uh, females have not had the same rights, the same access to things as males. And, uh, although, you know, in some countries it's much better than in others and, uh, dramatic, uh, progress has been made recently, but there's still definitely a way to go, especially in certain parts of the world, like the Middle East. And, uh, I want, my goal is to really try and educate you and open your eyes because, in the United States, it's not, um, there's definitely uh, a need for more uh, gender equality, and there's definitely a way to go, but um, it's nothing compared to other parts of the world, and sometimes we overlook these issues um, because of our own, you know, where we are, um, and that's understandable, but then it's important to educate yourself um, and understand what really is going on outside the world. And just a bit about the podcast. So this is episode 27. Um, I started off really focusing on German culture, German history. Um, I then tried to broaden out. Um, I focused on a few German political things and uh, modern stuff that's happening right now. A bit about language learning, too. And now I'm, my goal is to really try and stretch out and discuss many important anthropological topics or issues. Um, some of them are more positive. We did a video or episode on uh, eating utensils and culture, attire, um, but some are more serious like this one, and uh, this is very important. Um, I upload my podcast on YouTube. Um, it's on the Thoughts with Lakshman channel, and I also up- it's uh, available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, and I also have a series on YouTube, uh, the Learning German with Lakshman series. Um, and I have over 30 episodes of that. So if you're interested in learning German as a foreign language, we start out really basic with uh, vocabulary, but then we're, we get more advanced and we talk about um, important grammar structures. And we're continuing that. I upload pretty consistently. Uh, so take a listen if you want to. But without further ado, let's get into it. So. You know, although there isn't really, um, uh, you know, gender equality in the Middle East, including Israel, you know, this the phenomena of sexism and misogyny are global, and it's not particular to Islam or the Middle East. You know, the status of women uh, widely varies in the Middle East, um, and uh, it's important that you know the norms in Saudi Arabia, which is one of the, you know the most as- oppressive states in the region. Um, aren't used to generalize with the entire uh, region. Um, you know, many of the causes uh, for the inferior status of 
Middle Eastern women are in, in, indigenous, you know, but the West, especially the U.S., has really tried to exacerbate this, you know, oppression, you know, and w when you discuss, you know, general issues facing women in the, in the Middle East, you know, the diversity of female lifestyles and conditions is often lost. You know, accustomed to stereotypical depictions, Westerners are told that Mr. Middle Eastern women are passive, weak, and always viled. And it's often assumed that, you know, the severe conditions in Saudi Arabia where women are not even allowed to drive cars represent the norm for women throughout, you know, the Middle East and in the larger Muslim world. In reality, um, this is not really the case. You know, Saudi Arabia's versions of both Islam and sexism are rather unique um, in their severities. You know, although the rule, you know, the Taliban in Afghanistan is uh, now emulating, you know, the sexist Saudi model. Women enjoy political and social rights in many Muslim countries. And Egypt has actually recently granted women the right to divorce their husbands. In Tunisia, abortion is legal and polygamy is prohibited. Women have served as ministers in, you know, the Syrian, Shortian, um, Egyptian, Iraqi, and Tunisian governments, and as vice president in Iran, um, before the U.S. actually, but you know, um, Kamala Harris. But uh, you know, yet the problems of uh, Middle Eastern women uh, remain acute. Um, you know, Islamic, Christian, and Jewish jurists and theologians, um, all the males, they've uh, really provided Middle Eastern society with the most exclusivist and conservative interpretations of religious laws which have truly burdened uh, women, you know, in the family, the society, and the state. Um, you know, the top position in government, you know, according to strict Islamic laws, is denied to women based on a dubious hadith, which is a collection of sayings and deeds attributed to Muhammad. According to the Interpalia, um, the political representation of women in parliaments in Arab nations lags behind all other countries of the world. And Kuwait has yet to grant women, you know, the right to vote. Yet Muslims in Bangladesh, P Pakistan, and Turkey have all been led by women. Um, in Israel, a woman once headed the government. Uh, her name is Golda Meir. You know, although the political it has almost been exclusively of male since, you know, the creation of the state. Islamic clerics... Um, continue to enjoy a tremendous amount of power and often exercise great influence in the field of education. You know, the Middle East, including Israel, is unduly hostage to clerics who do not really allow the codification of civil personal status laws. You know, for example, only Cyprus, of all the Middle Eastern countries, recognizes um, interfaith marriages. You know, furthermore, um, Islam has sanctioned and perpetuated many sexist uh, practices and views, um, you know, including polygamy and uh, uh, the, the stigmatization of, you know, other stuff and the requirement of uh, widely obedience, uh, wifely obedience to, uh, you know, the husband and the inequality of inheritance and court appearances. And all of these um, practices have at one point or another, you know, been part of Christian and Jewish practices or cultures. And although, you know, religion bears major responsibility for the inferior status of women, 
um, it cannot solely be blamed uh, for the gender problem in the Middle East. Um, you know, in reality, uh, the role of culture has actually even been more prominent in perpetuating uh, the oppression of women. You know, the, um, honor crimes, for example, have no basis in Islam. Furthermore, you know, filing has become a symbol of Middle Eastern oppression of women. The practice actually came from Christians. Um, you know, the role of the West regarding Middle Eastern women is often obscured. You know, Western colonial powers have um, been hypocritical at best. Leila Ahmed, who published a study of women and gender in the Islamic world, dubs the Western attitude as colonial feminism. And she says that according, uh, you know, colonial uh, feminism refers to the tendency among uh, colonial officers to champion Muslim and women's rights, while at the same time opposing women's rights in their own countries. You know, thus the status of women in the Middle East was used merely to, uh, you know, degenerate Islam and the culture of the region. And the legacy of colonial feminism persists. Feminism in the Middle East is often discredited, you know, by governments and by local enemies of feminism because it is associated with the sequels of colonialism. Um, you know, in the present day Middle East, um, you know, the Western powers responsibility, um, for the current state of affairs cannot be yet, uh, denied, you know, ever since the 1950s, successive American governments have, uh, supported, um, Saudi Arabian Islam and have funded and armed, uh, Middle Eastern um, women and frustrated their efforts at emancipation. You know, furthermore, uh, since many of the oppressive governments in the Middle East, um, you know, are survived really only because of Western military and um, economic support, uh, the responsibility for local uh, oppression has external dimensions. Um, and, you know, there are certain problems with the current, with, uh, you know, U.S. policy over this over the years, because the U.S. continues to support a very, uh, very conservative, uh, version of Islam through its support of the Saudi Arabian government. And, you know, the U.S. financial aid supports the oppressive re regimes in the regions rather than the civil and feminist organizations. And American policy during the Cold War actually promoted conservative Islamic fundamentalism, which now terrorizes the region and its women. You know, the U.S. government, um, who hailed, you know, the Iranian Shah's regime a few months before its overthrow, has for, uh, for, for years, you know, exploited human rights rhetoric by highlighting its enemies' human rights violations and ignoring its friends' violations. You know, the people of the Middle East have not forgotten you know, that Washington ignored the Shah of Iran's abysmal record of human rights violations while strictly scrutinizing, you know, the human rights records of Libya and Syria, for example. Of course, you know, Libya and Syria do violate human rights, but Washington's double standard is uh, cruel to some other Middle Eastern uh, countries. Also, you know, the, uh, you know, the U.S. economic polit and political 
interest in the Middle East stems largely from, you know, the inability or unwillingness of the U.S. to judge human rights on a universal and neutral basis. You know, not that the U.S. should view itself or that it should be viewed by others as the ultimate arbiter of the human rights situation around the world, but, you know, many human rights organizations have documented human rights violations within the United States. Yet the U.S. presents itself to the Middle East and other regions of the world as the authority on and the judge of human rights standards and does not admit that its actions both within and outside the U.S. and often worsen situations. You know, in the Middle East, for example, Saudi Arabia um, stands as a clear example of American hypocrisy. You know, no serious and credible policy on human rights can ignore, you know, the abysmal record of the Saudi royal family which has imposed, you know, on the Saudi Arabian people one of the most oppressive regimes in the world. Um, Saudi Arabia's government is based on institutional sexism and intolerant religious exclusiveness. And the brat, the you know, the brand of Islam imposed in Saudi Arabia is seen in no other country. You know, American support for the Saudi royal family has permitted that government to violate human rights and to ignore the pleas of Saudi men and women for reforms. Crown Prince Abdullah, who has assumed more powers in the past uh, two years in the wake of the near um, incapacitation of King Fahd, has publicly alluded to you know, popular demands for social, political, and legal reforms affecting Saudi women. Yet, you know, Washington, which r- routinely interferes in the minute, you know, minute affairs in the region and in the internal domestic situation of many Arab countries, has not made one public statement in support of the Saudi woman in the face of state oppression and discrimination. How can the U.S. government make speeches and statements in support of 13 Iranian Jews who are accused of treason and yet remain silent about the plight of millions of Arab women who are oppressed daily by a pro-American government? How can the U.S. scrutinize the human rights record of Libya and Iran, but not of Saudi Arabia? Um, You know, Iran's political system, you know, with old shortcomings, is certainly superior to the, you know, political system in Saudi Arabia. But, you know, U.S. support for Saudi Arabia has also harmed the cause of reforming Islam because Saudi oil wealth helps to promote a very conservative branch of Islamic theology and, you know, jurisprudence throughout the Muslim world. You know, the Saudi Arabian branch of Wahhabiya Islam targets women, and they are denied political roles, they are deprived of driving privileges, they're confined to educational institutions inferior to those reserved for men, and they're still subject to the legal practice of guardianship, which treats women as legal inferiors who cannot move or travel without the legal permission of their fathers, brothers, husbands, or a remote male relative in some cases. You know, while Saudi Arabia welcomes technology allowing it to accommodate U.S. military needs and requirements and fights political reforms, under the slogan of maintaining its cultural and Islamic authenticity. You know, the campaign against gender equality and religious reform spearheaded by the uh, Saudi royal family is directly or indirectly sponsored by the U.S., the main political benefactor of the Wahhabi government. And though the Saudi case is exceptional, um, you know, it is illustrative of, you know, the determinants and consequences of U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East. You know, unfortunately, U.S. aid programs don't help Middle Eastern women either. You know, although the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund have belatedly accommodated themselves to the needs of civic organizations around the world, 
The U.S. foreign aid program is not based on need and is severely tarnished by its political agenda. The Canadian foreign aid program is geared toward the empowerment of both the poor and women, and it grants aid on the basis of need. But the largest recipient of U.S. aid remains Israel, which is a per capita income comparable to that of the U.K. Moreover, the U.S. government still favors rewarding and punishing governments through its aid programs. Instead of supporting the courageous feminist and human rights non-government organizations in the Middle East, um, and you know the U.S. aid program helps finance the you know the defense industry in America instead of doing that, and this type of aid only serves to promote you know a culture of corruption in the recipient countries and keeps um, unelected officials in power. In recent years, Washington is giving more money, you know, to civic associations, but the amounts are you know, minuscule when compared to U.S. military aid or in the needs of Middle Eastern NGOs. Um, many private philanthropic organizations in the West have shifted their large, you know, aid civil associations to the Middle East and now uh, try and help these feminist organizations to navigate between the hostility of the state and the hostility of Islam fundamentalists in society. You know, these organizations... Um, and, you know, and female groups, blood groups, by the way, too, are promoting economic development amongst women, and that would benefit, uh, uh, they would benefit from, you know, the U.S. economic aid. Yet even when, you know, groups like the feminist organization led by Nawal Sadal in Egypt, when they receive private American aid, their rank and file members object and wary of American motives and foreign policy, such groups often detest and suspect American funding. So I think it's pretty clear that, you know, one, the U.S. needs to take a stronger stance here. Um, not just the U.S., but other countries in the world need to. I know this article focuses uh, on the U.S., but, um, you know, I, I think other countries need to also step in, you know, um, there's definitely a double standard relative to human rights violations and not enough is really being done considering how severe some of these violations are. You know, Washington must end its traditional disregard for the plight of Middle Eastern women, incorporate the interest and welfare of women into foreign aid programs. And, you know, because of the past, Washington's rhetoric on human rights is not taken seriously by the people in the Middle East and probably rightly so. You know, although the U.S., uh, government scrutinizes the human rights records of governments it dislikes. It ignores similar abuses in friendly countries, um, and that and and like Saudi Arabia that has the worst record on women's rights in the world, you know. And Saudi Arabia now exemplifies the essential flaws and errors of U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East, um, and it you know makes it complicated for the U.S. in that position. Um, you know, obviously this article takes a really strong stance, but I agree with some, to the level that they're saying because there is definitely a need for more progress. There's definitely a need for more intervention. Given how serious the situation is, it's similar to the Uyghur situation in China. We talk about it, people know about it, but not enough is being done. It's like a crisis that's happening right now. There's a crisis for um, many of these women in the Middle East, and there's also a crisis for the Uyghurs in South and uh, China. And... Uh, I think 
without a doubt, more should be done, not just by the U.S., but other countries, even though this article does strongly focus on the U.S. But, you know, thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed. I hope um, you do some research about this topic because it's very important. I hope that you try and help out because um, this is very, very important. And uh, get involved. Try your best. But thank you and goodbye.